This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. Hello, friend. Welcome to the next episode of Making Shift Happen. Today, we're talking about five ways to reduce muscle soreness. Now, the reason I'm I'm choosing to talk about muscle soreness and how to reduce it is because a lot of you are getting back into a regular lifting schedule or let's call it, you know, weight training or strength training, strength and conditioning, whatever it is. And I am here for it. As a, as a strength and conditioning coach, I am here for it. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely one of the best things that you can do in the quote-unquote off-season, depending, of course, on where you live, because I know those of you that live in Southern California, parts of New Mexico, Arizona, even Pacific Northwest, Florida, parts of the South, a lot of you, Texas, a lot of you can, can bike year-round, and we can here as well in Colorado. However, it is nice to just take a little bit of a break from riding regularly and give your body an opportunity to just chill out and not be in the same motion, all right, with cycling. You know, it's a repetitive motion. And while it's not necessarily impactful on the body, the body can start to just develop certain movement qualities about it. And it's just nice to take to take a break from it. All right. Regardless, you know, it's something to keep in mind. And also we did, or rather I did, (laughs) uh, my team and I, we just started the latest fall cycle of shred strong on October 10th. So we've been going almost four weeks. Next week will be our fourth week, uh, after this is released. And, um, I'm personally feeling the squats that I've been doing since I just poorly chose not to squat all summer. I did some basic squats like goblet squats, things like that, but nothing really high rep or higher volume. And that's fine. I was trying to temper my volume during, you know, riding season, even if I wasn't necessarily riding as much as I normally do. But in retrospect, you know, it was a little bit of a dumb decision on my part and that's fine. It was an experiment that I wanted to try, especially as my quad was healing and things like that. But just know, I'm, I'm experiencing some soreness as well, uh, from even somebody who is experienced and has been lifting, you know, since on and off, really since I was eight years old, 10 years old, right in that, in that age range. And some soreness is fine. You know, please know that some soreness will happen, especially if it's been a while since you've lifted, or even if you've ridden regularly, you know, even riding sometimes can cause some soreness. And, and that's okay. Just remind yourself some soreness is fine. The better thing to do or the best thing to do is to stay consistent with your workouts and just know that your body will adapt and allow your level of soreness to decrease after about a week or two once it acclimates. All right. So just know your body, it just needs to, it needs to kind of get in its groove. All right. But I want to also point out that more soreness or even experiencing soreness does not, and I repeat, does not equal a better workout. 
more things, more soreness, more reps, more sets, more volume, that does not always indicate a better workout. So please just never ever use soreness or or worse yet pain as a gauge for how good a a workout was. And and by good, I mean, you know, air quotes, good. (laughs) Um, What's better to use is your rate of perceived exertion, aka your RPE. That's a much better gauge of how good a workout was as well as how strong you felt or how challenged you felt during the workout. If you feel like you're, you're kind of pushing yourself a little bit past that limit, not necessarily past, you know, the point of failing or failing your reps, but when you're feeling that just that borderline of of feeling a little challenged, that's going to be the nice sweet spot to, to know that you are getting a good workout in and getting a, a, a beneficial workout. Now, not every workout quote unquote has to be good. All right. Workouts can, some workouts can be utter shit and feel really crappy. You might feel tired. Maybe you started your menstrual cycle. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep, you know, the night before, because there is a difference between being underslept and tired because you can still be fatigued even with ample sleep. Parents, I'm looking at you. (laughs) Um, But just know that, you know, not all of these things indicate a good workout. So, and not every workout has to be amazing you know, out of, out of maybe like a week's worth of workouts, like one or two workouts and sessions might be amazing and you might feel like past hundred percent, right? Then you're going to have uh, most of your workouts feel kind of, mm, okay, pretty average. Like that, that felt good. It felt good to move. And then you might have like one workout where it's kind of, you know, maybe it just felt a little off. Maybe you feel like you need to recover a little bit more, or maybe you should have used a little bit less weight or less reps or something just felt a little off. So just know that not every workout is going to feel amazing and like rainbows and unicorns. Okay. And as long as you give yourself that permission to not have every single workout feel amazing, fantastic. You know, it's nice to have just that, that, that space to just be and to just move because moving your body, it's amazing. And it's something that should be celebrated every day. All right. Now, regardless of all that, I want to offer you the top five ways to minimize soreness as much as possible. All right. So let's start off with number one. And I feel like number one is probably the the main thing that you can do for yourself, period. Whether that's regarding soreness, your overall health, your any type of goal, especially if you do have a performance goal. And that is focusing on sleep and recovery. And when I say focusing on sleep and recovery, I mean, at a minimum, try to aim for at least seven hours of sleep a night. Of course, parents out there who have especially smaller children, just try to do your best. <laughs> that's, that's really all you can all you can do. But ideally, in order to get the best sleep, and this will be a whole other podcast episode uh, that I'll be doing this fall and winter about sleep. But basically, to try to optimize your sleep as much as possible, it's really great to have some sort of wind down, bedtime routine, starting a minimum of 30 minutes before you go to bed. And by this, there should be no blue lights, meaning no technology, no TV, nothing like that. No inputs, really. You can read. Reading is fantastic, especially if you're reading a paper book or if you are reading on a Kindle or some sort of electronic book. If you have it to where it's giving off the minimum amount of light or backlight, that will be even better. Um, Whatever it is, just try to do something that's relaxing. This could be mobilizing 
uh, maybe some yoga, maybe some meditation if you're into that or deep breathing, anything, you know, but reading is kind of the easiest one to go to because I feel like that doesn't necessarily reflect any type of dogma. (laughs) I, I think for the most part, someone, you know, might enjoy reading something, whether it's a magazine or if it's a book, it doesn't matter. Uh, but you don't have to read a novel or anything like that, but just try not to read on your phone and try not to scroll and try not to do anything involving a TV or watching a movie or things like that. And again, minimum, just 30 minutes, give yourself that time before bed to really wind down and, and help, uh, your melatonin, you know, get in, get in, get in its work. All right. Start working a little bit. Uh, because the more that you're absorbing any type of blue light or any type of inputs that stimulate your brain, then the more you're going to be stimulated before bed. And that's going to be more difficult for you to maybe go to bed and fall asleep. Or you might be one of those people that is like, no, Jen, I, you know, I actually fall asleep scrolling. That's great. But ask yourself, you know, how rested do you feel when you wake up in the morning? Or are you waking up in the middle of the night at least once or twice in the middle of the night? Then chances are that stimulation with the blue light before bed is actually impacting your sleep and your ability to get into deep and or REM sleep, all right, which is like the dream state, rabbit eye movement. So ultimately, find your your wind down bedtime routine and try to do it a minimum of 30 minutes before bed, all right, whatever it is. But my biggest thing is just try not to have any type of technology. Definitely don't check email uh, or social media if you can and, and, and just see how it feels. Give yourself a couple weeks and experiment. Uh, and with recovery, you know, cause I did say sleep and recovery, really those two things do go hand in hand, but with recovery, my, my advice for this is to not necessarily lift six days a week. You know, don't, don't lift weights six days a week. Generally speaking, for cyclists and endurance athletes, lifting weights two to three times a week is ample. There's not really a necessary uh, or a need rather to lift, you know, five, six, definitely not seven days a week. Okay. Get in a rest day, at least one to two rest days a week. That's preferable. The older you are, the more you might feel you benefit from having a second rest day. So only being active, you know, five days a week. And by active, I mean, you know, you're not a log, (laughs) you're not, you know, just sitting and chilling on the couch all day, uh, two days a week, you know, you can walk obviously, like still continue your health endeavors, (laughs) like still move around, but definitely don't like do anything intense or heavy on the, on those days off. Okay. So number one, sleep and recovery. Number two, protein, protein helps repair your muscles among many other things. It's, it's pretty much necessary for a lot, if not all cellular functions in the human body. So my suggestion is to aim to have at least one serving of protein at every single meal and snack. And this is equal about equal to a palm size of, of your hand. So if you look at your palm without the fingers and thumb, just your palm, roughly it'll be about the same thickness and width and, in in you know, area as your palm. So that gives you a little bit of a, an eyeball <laughs> that you can kind of eyeball what a portion looks like. Now, if you are a person that's right around, I'd say like 170 pounds or, or more, then you might need closer to two palms worth 
of, of protein at your meals. Now at snacks, you know, it's going to be a little bit less than that, maybe like a half palm size or something like that, which is the equivalent of about like 10 grams of protein, a palm size of protein, depending of course on how big your palm is, <laughs> minor micro sized. Um, but no, mine is still going to be about equivalent to three to four ounces of cooked meat, um, or any type of, you know, non, non-meat product, but it is a protein things like beans. I know that, I know that that technically does have some carbs and that's fine. If, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, great, go ahead and substitute whatever meat-based, meat-based protein, you know, someone else would be consuming and fill in what you would be eating as a vegan or a vegetarian. Maybe that's seton, maybe that's tofu, beans, something like that, chickpeas. So try to think of that. Now, it does not include a fat like almonds or peanut butter or things like that. The, while those things do have protein in them, they are primarily a fat because that is what actually makes up most of the caloric density of that food. So I'm looking at protein-specific things. So at least a palm size at every meal, that's about three to four ounces. Generally, it's closer to about four ounces of cooked meat. Um, or four ounces of, you know, whatever, a serving of beans, uh, legumes, whatever you're eating. And that is also about equivalent to a serving of protein powder. So you're looking at, again, about 20, 25 grams of protein per serving. And this is just rough. You don't have to be exact. All right. This sure it can be an exact science, but you don't have to, you don't have to be exact. You can at least just get as close as possible as you can. Now, if you're eating three meals a day, and you're only having about a palm size of protein per day, that's only about 75 grams or roughly 75 grams of protein per day. I mean, ideally, I'd say most people need to be aiming for a minimum of 100 grams per day. But ultimately, if, you know, if your goal is especially, you know, being optimized with recovery and, you know, really optimizing your performance, take your body weight in pounds I apologize, metric people. Uh, I love the metric system, but I'm doing this because most of my listeners are from the U.S. and we're not on the metric system, sadly. But if you take your body weight in pounds and you multiply it by about 70% or 0.7, this is roughly, you know, usually it ranges between 0.7 up to like 0.76, I think is what is off the top of my head based on the latest research, that's going to be ideal for how much protein you should be aiming for. Ideally, again, this is for performance purposes and, you know, even for weight loss, honestly, because if you are, you know, trying to optimize your protein as best as possible, that will at least give you the minimum protein that you should be consuming. Unfortunately, the recommended daily allowance or RDA for protein is outdated. If you converse with anyone, especially if they're educators in the nutrition field and they teach at local universities and colleges and or especially if they do research in nutrition, um, they'll tell you (laughs) that the RDA is outdated and it really should be updated when it comes to protein. Okay. So, you know, I mean, for some folks, point multiplying their body weight by 0.7, that's still going to get them at right around 84 grams or 80, 85-ish grams. For me, that's my daily minimum. 
But for me, I feel better when I have a little bit of a higher protein diet. So I aim for at least 120 grams per day, which is my body weight, roughly um, 120 pounds-ish. I don't really weigh myself, but that's about what I weigh. Because uh, muscle, it's pretty dense. So just something to think about. The protein, I'm telling you, it is probably one of the things that is lacking in a lot of folks' diets, in addition to, of course, you know, vegetables and fruits. <laughs> um, and if if more folks would focus on protein intake, it would really help, first of all, mitigate soreness, reduce soreness, help them also with cravings. You know, you would probably notice that you were going to have reduced cravings and you're just going to feel better. You're going to feel a little bit more satiated or full or satisfied after meals and less hungry. So that is a goal, especially if your, your goal is weight loss, you know, if it happens to be weight and fat loss, which, you know, I, I feel like personally winter time can be a little bit of a difficult time with holidays and, and other things and special occasions can be not the best time to focus on weight loss, but I feel like now is a really good time to definitely focus on strength training and increasing your capacity during the the quote unquote off season when it comes to biking and things like that. So protein, I spent much longer talking about protein because literally my notes just said protein and I just kind of went on a tangent, (laughs) but it's mainly because I'm so passionate about protein and of course, sleep and recovery and fruits and vegetables. Oh my goodness. And, and fiber. Like, I feel like those are that one oh, stress management. Like those are definitely the things that I could just talk on and on and on about. Um, okay. Let's go to the next step. So three, optimize hydration. Oh man. I don't know. That might be another thing I could talk about. No, but let's talk about optimizing your hydration. Generally rule of thumb, Aim for a minimum of about 40 to 50% of your body weight in pounds in water or ounces each day. That's going to be ideal and it can definitely help your body stay in the right balance, especially if you're consuming any type of sodium products or electrolytes and things like that. It can just make you feel good because I mean, your body is, is made of mostly water. So you, you want to be well hydrated, but please know that there is there is the potential of overhydrating, all right? And overhydrating, you know, this is when you're drinking over a gallon of water per day consistently without necessarily bringing in any type of electrolytes. If your urine is clear, 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 then, you know, if it looks like you're peeing water, then you might want to maybe cut it back a little bit, <laughs> you know? Uh, you want your urine to, to have just a, a light color, like a light yellowish green to it. Um, and everyone's different, you know, depending on, on kind of their makeup, but that's the goal. All right. So definitely pay attention to your urine. That will basically tell you if you're hydrated, you know, properly or not. Uh, and speaking of which I'm kind of thirsty right now, but I'm not going to drink because I know that's an awful sound to listen to while you're listening to a podcast. But if you're optimizing hydration, that will definitely help you know, just kind of flush the system out a little bit, you know, flush any type of, um, toxins that you might develop and free radicals, things like that while you're lifting and, and, you know, just, it's just going to make you feel better. I don't know how else to put it. Like if you, if you just try these five steps, I think you might be absolutely blown away with how much better you could ultimately feel. All right. So number three, optimize your hydration as best as possible. And I do want to go ahead and say that, you know, one of the common questions that I get asked from a lot of folks is, is coffee and tea, you know, how does that equate? And for me, 
you know, based on my current research and, you know, research that research that has been done on hydration is, is fairly outdated or research rather that has been done on, you know, caffeinated products or, or how those might have a little bit of a dehydration, um, process to your body, or they might, they might dehydrate you a little bit or dilute you a little bit. It's not, that's not necessarily the case because that is one of the biggest questions I get asked is, you know, does my coffee count? And my rule of thumb is, yeah, you know, count up to about 20 ounces if you're getting like a venti or whatever at a, at a Starbucks or another coffee shop. Um, that certainly can be counted towards your daily daily intake. You know, I, I definitely count my coffee that I have every day. It's decaf, um, most days anyways. But yeah, anytime I have green tea or coffee or things like that, I do add that, you know, to my hydration intake. I also include my protein shakes because you're mixing the protein powder with water. You know, at least I am. I don't mix it with milk or milk products or anything like that or dairy, dairy products, or I guess I should say dairy substitutes. <laughs> uh, but those ultimately have a water base. So yeah, that does count towards your overall hydration for the day. So, you know, another thing that also counts during your daily hydration intake fruits and vegetables, you know, your food that you're eating. Now, of course, this is difficult to track. There isn't necessarily a good way to kind of track the intake, but, or at least through food, but please know that your goal should be to optimize along with your protein, optimize your fruit and and, and vegetable intake. These things have built in hydration, you know, Uh, the plants that you're eating, they need water in order to grow. So they're absorbing water from the soil. And that water is in the product itself, is in the food itself. And you're therefore, you know, consuming that food item. So this is a nice time to, of course, focus on the water that you're drinking during the day, but then also see if you can focus on your fruits and vegetables and things like that. And the bonus here is that the fruits and vegetables that you are consuming do also contain micronutrients or vitamins and minerals, you know, AKA vitamins and minerals. And those will also help, you know, help you solidify your, or I should say it will help support your immune system and, you know, your body flushing out those free radicals that are produced from intense workouts or lifting and things like that. So please know that by optimizing your hydration and focusing on your hydration by water and things like that, you should also be focusing on fruits and vegetable intake and things like that, because then you're getting your body all of the nutrients that it needs to help support its adequate recovery. All right. So it's kind of a a couple of different ways you can look at it. Now, I will go ahead and say that when I'm talking about coffee and caffeinated beverages or tea, those things, I, like I said a moment ago, I usually recommend my clients, you know, Hey, let's try to limit to, to like 20 ounces if you can. And that's not because I necessarily think that coffee and things like that are bad. Definitely don't. But you know, if it does have a caffeine in it, it does need to be limited, or at least you need to have some awareness around how much you're consuming in a day because it is a stimulant and these stimulants can impact your ability to recover adequately. 
So if you're having a shit ton, a metric shit ton of coffee and caffeine every day, that in turn is really stimulating, you know, your cortisol levels and things like that. And it could be causing you to feel a little bit more tired in the long run because you're, you're constantly exposing your body to a stressor like a stimulant. And caffeine, of course, is a stimulant, as are other medications and, and other drugs, both recreational and medicinal. So you need to be cognizant of what you're consuming because there is a moderation like level. And everyone's level, of course, is different based on how well they can expel the caffeine and how well their body can actually process the caffeine. So I just wanted to throw it out there. I am not anti-coffee or caffeine. Hell to the no. I mean, I drink decaf coffee. I, I drink decaf coffee most of the time because I love the flavor and taste of coffee. So just know I am not anti-coffee. Don't ever claim me to be like that. Um, but it is something that if you are drinking caffeine, you've got to make sure that you're you're doing it in moderation because it is a stimulant and it can make your body feel a little bit more stressed. If you are an individual that does experience anxiety, depression, things like that, then you might want to look at your caffeine intake. If you tend to feel a little bit excessive anger or you're quick to respond to things or you're in a negative way, you know, you're, you're, you're a little hot. Let's put it that way. Um, and you're drinking an exorbitant amount of (laughs) caffeine, then guess what? You might need to consider how much stimulants you're consuming uh, throughout the day, because that, that could be impacting you. All right. So of course, number three, optimize hydration. All right. Number four, mobility and deep breathing. So mobility and deep breathing also does go, they do go hand in hand with recovery. The first bullet point with sleep and recovery, but I wanted them to have their own bullet point here because it can help you feel so much better. <laughs> you're, you're not generally, if you're like me, you're not able to have a massage every day. I mean, trust me, I wish I could have a professional massage. Like, oh my gosh, if I could have even a professional massage, like once a week, that would be freaking amazing. I love massages. My body responds incredibly well, especially if it's a really good massage therapist that knows my body extremely well and knows kind of where my areas of concern are, you know, with my hip, things like that. It feels amazing. Now, because I'm not, you know, hiring a massage therapist once a week, sadly, (laughs) um, I do self-massage. So I do my own type of mobility, which does include a little bit of stretching, especially after mountain bike rides and gravel rides and things like that. I'm trying to open up my hip and kind of open up my back and my thoracic spine and do some twists and things like that. And it feels really good. But I'm also trying to do some level of mobility or self-massage via foam rolling and, you know, using some yoga balls and things like that. Now, I am not going to say that foam rolling is magical. It's, it's not. But foam rolling can help change your threshold of pain or discomfort in your muscles. So in the long run, it can really help you just feel a little bit better. Now, personally, I suggest foam rolling the areas that you worked that you specifically worked after your workouts or after your bike rides, as well as doing a couple of minutes of just type of, you know, any type of like walking, uh, stationary bike, elliptical after some sort of lift session, because it does help you kind of move that body, which I'm going to, this kind of feeds into the next bullet point, but I did say mobility and deep breathing. So 
On that note, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath with me. When I ask you to take a deep breath with me, I want you to breathe through your nose, in through your nose, keep that mouth closed. And you know, if you want to place your tongue, tip of your tongue on the roof of your mouth, right behind your top teeth, your front teeth, that would be even great. Even better rather. Um, but I want you to take a moment. And as you're breathing in through your nose, I want you to focus on having your belly, your belly button specifically, push out. So as you're breathing in, you're actually going down into your diaphragm area and expanding that belly a little bit more. You might look a little uh, like you're expecting (laughs) in the belly area, Uh, and that's fine. That's actually the goal. You want to get into that diaphragmatic type of breathing, and this is going to be the most beneficial type of breathing, all right? So right now, we're just going to take a moment, and a couple moments, and we're going to close our mouths. Roof of your mouth has the tip of your tongue on it, right behind your teeth, breathing in through the nose, expanding that belly, hold for a second, and then exhale. You can exhale out of your mouth. All right, let's do it a couple more times. Exhale. One more time, in through the nose. Expanding that belly, hold for a second, and exhale. All right, in that moment in hell, I've even noticed it, a huge shift in just three breaths. And I was talking, so I wasn't even getting the full benefit from this deep breath exercise. Deep breathing is straight up magical. I will go ahead and say foam rolling, it's not magical, but deep breathing, very magical. The parasympathetic nervous system responds incredibly well too deep breathing. It helps stimulate your vagus nerve, your vagal response. But when you're stimulating that vagus nerve, which is that nerve that connects the brainstem, the brain, to really your core and throughout your body, of course, there's other parts that it, that it does connect to, but it also connects to all of those organs in your trunk, gallbladder, spleen, liver, stomach, all of that connects to all of that. It innervates everything, lungs, heart. It helps to stimulate that rest and digest or parasympathetic nervous response. And that's what you want. Because if you are the type of person who is a very go, go, go type of person trying to check everything off on that list, you have a lot on your to-do list day in and day out. Maybe you're a parent or you're taking care of a sick parent or other people, you're a caretaker in your household, whatever it is for you. You have a lot going on. If you're noticing some tension or if you're noticing that your breathing might be a little bit more higher in the chest and not necessarily down in the belly. If you notice that it was difficult when we were taking those deep breaths into the belly, if you notice it was difficult to feel it into the belly, chances are you might be stress breathing a little bit more because You know, unfortunately, uh, my era, my generation, and of course the generations prior, I'm X generation, um, as well as millennials and things like that, really every generation is being informed to have good posture. 
And when you have good posture, that's when you are instructed to, you know, have your shoulders back, stomach in. Well, unfortunately, when you're having your stomach in and your shoulders back, that's actually not setting you up for success when it comes to parasympathetic deep breathing or belly breathing. So we sometimes as humans do actually forget how to breathe effectively because we're breathing. We don't have to be reminded to breathe, but we do have to be reminded and taught and trained how to breathe effectively. And that can make a huge impact. Now, I do know that some deep breathing can also be a trigger for some individuals, of course. Some people who might have PTSD around certain breath work and might, you know, maybe you were previously choked or you did previously choke on things. I, I know I, for one, I actually do have PTSD around breathing because of previous life experiences when it comes to drowning and things like that. So please know this has been a challenge for me as well. And it is something that I've actively worked on with a therapist over the years. And it's something that that I wanted to work on because it's so incredibly important. And it was very important to me, especially with my meditation practice. So mobility and deep breathing. It is step number four or tip number four in, you know, ways that you can minimize soreness as much as possible. And it's, and it's in tip number four because it is so impactful it really can go hand in hand with bringing your body from an elevated, stressed out position to more of a level of being rest and digest, parasympathetic, kind of a chill position, right? This is incredibly useful for after workouts and after bike rides, and it helps your your body kind of shift from uh, an elevated, stressful state, even if workouts are positive for you. That's, that's great, but it is still a little bit of a stressful state. But it helps you shift from that elevated state into more of a healing and recovery state after your workout or bike rides. So I really recommend laying down on your belly, or excuse me, laying down on your back, belly up to the sky. If you want, you can even elevate your feet on the sofa, for example, or on a chair. And have something underneath your head and under your neck or whatever is comfortable for you. And do about maybe a minute of just some deep breaths. If that's too much for you, gosh, even starting off with like one to three deep breaths will be incredibly beneficial for you. And it, it can really be life-changing, honestly. I know, I know it has been for me. All right. Number five. And also, I mean, again, deep, deep breathing, deep belly breathing, diaphragmatic breathing will help you manage stress. It is one of the best ways to manage stress because you always have the breath with you until your dying day, right? So you, you're you always breathing and it's always right there. And it's a tool that you can use to your benefit. You know, there is a reason that they teach the Navy SEALs and other elite you know, paramilitary folks this technique is because when they're in a stressful state, they can always recalibrate themselves in a moment just like we did a moment ago when we stopped and we did three belly breaths. Boom. It's powerful stuff. All right, number five. And this is the last and final tip I have for you. It's, it's a really good idea to repeat the movement pattern that caused your soreness using some body weight, body weight only, for a little bit of a higher rep. All right. This basically can help bring more blood to the area that you worked out, help speed up recovery, reduce inflammation, all that other stuff. All right. Examples. If you do heavy squats today, great. 
later on in the day or even right after your lifting session, go ahead and do about, you know, 20 to 50 just air squats, you know, just body weight squats or squat to a, you know, a chair or something like that. Uh, you can also do that the next day, just kind of flush the system, especially if you're a little sore. All right. It just kind of helps again, just funnel blood to that area and help kind of work that area out a little bit more. All right. All right. Let's do a recap. Like I always do. So top five ways to minimize soreness as much as possible. Number one, sleep and recovery. Number two, protein. Optimize the hell out of that. Remember 0.7, multiply by your body weight in pounds. Optimize hydration is number three. That does include fruits and vegetables. And then number four, mobility, as well as some sort of deep breathing. I'm telling you, deep breath work. Oh, it's going to be a game changer. And fifth and final is to repeat the movement pattern that you, that caused the soreness just by doing some body weight only movement, you know, whether it's squats or good mornings for hip hinge or, you know, some push-ups. If you just did bench press the day before, whatever it is, whatever it is, just, just move your body a little bit, get some blood going. All right. So out of these five tips, what tip will you focus on this week? I know it's something that I asked the Shred Strong team over the last couple of weeks as I've introduced these tips to them just to help them, you know, manage their soreness a little bit more effectively. And I know for me, it's been bed, my bedtime, my sleep. And it, it's impressive because I, I, I do have a new wearable device. Um, I don't depend on it. I'm not super strict with it. I'm not obsessed with it by any means, but I have literally watched my sleep improve by at least 10 points just over the past few weeks. And it's just by me focusing on my bedtime routine and, and trying to de-stress and unwind and do some deep breathing before work or before work, before bed, it makes a big difference. You know, that's uh, again, that's just me personally. I'm just focusing on my bedtime routine. So choose one of these things and go after it. You don't have to do all five at once, but choose one really, 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 really set yourself after it and focus on it as best as you can for a week or two, ideally two weeks at a minimum. And then if you get up to four weeks of focusing on this at a minimum, even better, because then you're getting closer to making it more habitual for yourself. All right. If you want some expert guidance along the way, then consider working with a coach like me. Seriously, I'm not that bad. I'm not scary. Uh, You can apply to work with me using the link in the show notes. I always have it there. For now, if you absolutely loved this episode, I would love for you to leave a five-star rating, review it, and subscribe. And having you in my corner, seriously, it means so much as, as as a podcast producer having you listen week in and week out and in your support and your messages and things like that, it it really means the world to me. So thank you endlessly from the bottom of my heart for that. It does help me spread the word to more folks by you leaving that review, subscribing and giving me that rating. So hint, hint, nudge, nudge, much love. Uh, Anyways, I hope you have an absolutely beautiful day along with hopefully some less soreness or or rather maybe a more managed level of soreness okay (laughs) all right i'll see you next week bye